This is Authors in Focus. Hi, I'm Michael Evan. I'm a writer, publisher, and author publicist. Looking for a fun satirical read? Check out The Cider and Ale Chronicles, available now on Amazon by myself and JMD Reed. And get ready in late March for our next series, Max and the Captain. Today, we're joined by Eva Creel, author of The Immortal. How are you doing today, Eva? Hello, Michael. So nice to talk to you. I'm so sitting how- in my car at the moment because it's the only quiet place in my life. I hear that. I uh, have kids upstairs doing online school, trying to understand technology, and I have no idea what I'm doing. So I totally understand that. That's just called adulting, Michael. You're doing great. (laughs) I'm trying. Um, So I like to start these interviews out with a couple of fun questions before we get into the heavier, more writing-related stuff. So my first question to you is, If you could have a drink with any author, living or dead, who would it be and why? Well, I'm a lightweight, and I think the authors that I can think of, they're all alcoholics, aren't they? But let's go with Agatha Christie. I think she would be the perfect person to have a drink with because she's dyslexic, or she was dyslexic, and I am dyslexic as well. And I would love to hear her thought. I could just enjoy a martini with her while we theoretically killed the people in our lives and got away with it. Very cool. I had no idea she was dyslexic. That's very um, new knowledge to me, but uh, really interesting. So I'm curious, when you're writing, do you dictate or do you actually physically write? I physically write and I use Grammarly and my software corrects a lot of things automatically. And it tells me most of the time if I'm using the wrong word. So, unfortunately, I can't dictate because apparently I'm mumble and it doesn't understand me. And I get frustrated with that. So I type it out and then I have a proofreader go over it for me, too. And she catches any words that that aren't the correct use that Grammarly misses. That's cool. I actually attempted to use a dictate program to um, experiment with an experimental chapter of one of my books to see how wrong things would be and to just leave the wrong words in there. And there were tons of them. Like when I read what I had dictated, it wasn't even close to what I had intended to write. Yeah. It's like playing telephone with the computer. It's so funny. Yeah, definitely. Um, So very cool. Agatha Christie. I read a couple of her books ages ago. I think when I was a kid, she had two protagonists, right? Um, Poirot and Miss Marples, or there might have been more, right? Am I? You know, I don't even know. <laughs> I'm not much of a reader, and I don't know if I've actually read any of her work. And oh. But that doesn't mean that I won't. I think I need to pick some up and start reading. It's just I have very limited time being a mom, oh. and what do I want to use my time for, writing or reading? Right. No, that makes total sense. Yeah, I... Um have very little reading time and what I do read is usually what I'm editing or my own stuff because I edit it like 50 times per book. So I, yes. I'm totally, I'm totally with you. Um, okay. So the next question is um, I don't really like to use the word guilty pleasures when it comes to media, because I don't think that's really a thing anymore. Anyone can watch and listen to and 
read whatever they like. But if there was something that you were really uh, into media wise that uh, people would maybe be a little surprised about, what would that be? Vocationally, I'm a photographer and I've done some pretty crazy things around the world. I swam with elephants with a big name. I don't know if you've heard of Benjamin Von Wong. He's an environmentalist, uh, artist, creator, photographer, videographer. He does stuff. And so, I mean, I kind of had like a different life before I had kids. There's a video of me in uh, Belgium with using Roscoe filters where I'm talking about stuff and I have this model and all this crazy fog and stuff is going around. And I, I mean, I don't even, it, it doesn't even feel like it was my life, but it feels like now I'm in Georgia, just kind of sitting here and getting fat and raising children. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's super cool. So let's talk a little bit about writing and you, uh, I guess, starting at the beginning, when did you know you wanted to be a writer or have that creative buzz to, to actually want to write a novel and um, what yeah, led never, you to the never did. I never wanted to be a writer. Nope. Still not a writer. You need to make money to be, con- to be considered, I think, a writer. But I accidentally stumbled, kind of tripped over writing last year. And I make it a daily habit to take a picture every single day. And I think that daily habit, when I translated it over to writing, I found out that I could write quite a bit in a short amount of time. And so I wrote every day. And in six weeks, I had my first draft of my first novel. And it was good. I was very surprised. I surprised myself that I had the skill set to be able to accomplish something to that degree. Yeah, no, it's amazing. Um Obviously, a big bucket list accomplishment for many people, um, whether they've done it or not, would be to write a book. Now, uh, just getting back to something that you said, uh, I don't agree with you. I don't think you need to make money um, as a writer to consider yourself a writer. Uh, you might need to make money to consider yourself a full-time professional writer. But I think anyone that actually writes words and publishes a book um, that enjoys writing is a writer, because I think art as it is, is very subjective. I mean, you can look at Jackson Pollock uh, and say that's just a bunch of dots splashed on a page, but go figure. You know what I mean? So I definitely think whether you're making a lot of money as a writer or any money as a writer, you're still a writer. I see your point. I suppose I do see it as a professional thing, as a very lateral thinking of if you introduce yourself and you say you're a doctor, you're assuming that that's what you're doing professionally and making an income from it. But it is a very American capitalistic notion and shame on me for not being more colorful on the description of writer. No, I get that. I, um, I don't necessarily, uh, when, when somebody says, what do you do? I don't say, Oh, I'm a writer. I say, I'm a publisher. I'm a publicist. And then maybe third, I'll say, I'm also a writer. And sometimes I'll even say I'm a co-writer. But at the same time, I would definitely consider myself a writer because I spend a lot of time whenever I can writing. And I hope that one day I will be able to take my own writing as seriously as I take other people's writing. So that being said, you published a novel, which is a really awesome thing, uh, The Immortal. Uh, I like to use I run a couple of podcasts and this is the one where I really want authors to pitch their product to people that will listen. Uh, and hopefully pick it up. So talk about The Immortal. 
what it's all about and why people should be downloading it or purchasing it right now. If you feel unsatisfied, this is your book. If you have lived a lackluster life, this is an adventure. It's very relatable. The woman, Emma, she's a 40-year-old, and she's basically worked her entire life away. And she's always given everything she can to other people and has always put herself second. And if that sounds like you or somebody that you know, then this is a story that you can absolutely get sucked into. And it's been described by many people who have read it. They've come back to me with a smile on their face and said this was satisfying. Awesome. So that actually leads me into another question, because I do this so often with my own writing. I've called myself and I've been called a some, somewhat of a narcissistic writer because I've, I've struggled to put away that, that self-voice. Pretty much every character, every, every male protagonist that I've written is me or an avatar of me. I've even gone so far as to put myself into my books as me, hanging out with characters that are also me. So, I've given myself a cameo. <laughs> <laughs> if they ever make it a Netflix special, I know exactly what scene I'm going to be in. My husband and I are in a scene. <laughs> that's awesome. You see, that's I like that. Like I fourth wall breaking and all that meta fictional stuff is is that's my bag. So um, what I want to know and also when it comes to support characters, every female character or female MC that I write is basically my wife. So how much of you goes into your characters and into your story uh, and how much of, of, you know, just the people in your life, the people you actually know, make it into your writing. And um, do you have any examples? I do. I see myself as a sponge. And after 40 years, I've just kind of given it a squeeze and the things that have dripped out, dripped out and became a novel. Some of the things are personal. Other things are relatable, but skewed. For instance, there's a near death scene where the protagonist almost drowns. And that actually came from my neighbor who had a near drowning episode this summer. He fell off of like a, a jet ski and he hit the water wrong and he became paralyzed under the water and he couldn't serve this. And his girlfriend actually had to pull him out of the water and save him. And I thought, oh, wow, well, that went into my book. I didn't experience that, but I sure as heck wrote about it. And there's a character in my book who's actually a cat. His name is Apollo. He's an orange cat. And the reason he's in there was because one of my beta readers, his name's Apollo, and he's he has a big orange beard. And that's why the cat's name is Apollo, and that's why the cat is orange. So everything you write has to be narcissistic in a way because you're the one writing it. Every character is in your head and is a part of you. It's in part of your, your id or your ego or your subconscious. Right. Um, so is Apollo a, like a, a sentient talking cat or just a cat? Just a cat, a mouser on a boat. Oh, okay, cool. Because I was going to say if the, ta- the cat talked, there'd be more parallels between your stuff and my stuff than I, I would have thought. But yeah, no, I know what you're saying, and I agree with that. Um, I One of the things that's been a big sort of thing I've wanted to do that I'm now challenging myself with is writing from a first-person female perspective, which is something I've never done. I have a female protagonist in my most recent series who does get some significant page time and does have a cool backstory that I've been told was fleshed out really well. But now I want to try actually writing a full book from her perspective, just to kind of break out of that 
dude thing that comes from me and all my writing. Sure. Do it. Write it. We'll read it and we'll judge you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, so outside of your own personal experiences, what are some of the sort of media or external influences on your writing from, I don't know, anything from film, TV? I know you mentioned you're not that much of a reader, but, you know, music, gaming, anything. The Immortal was based after a nightmare I had. That was the original, I guess, drop that started the flood. And when I woke up from that dream, I thought, wow, you know, this has a lot of characters. This has a lot of detail. This has a lot of history. And it it could evolve. And so that's when I began writing was after that dream. That was the initial inspiration. I'm a very vivid dreamer. I still have night terrors as an adult. And it's nice to have something negative turn into something really entertaining for other people to be able to see it uh, come out like that. Also, I'm a big fan of watching, you know, Netflix shows and things like that. And I understand that things can't be boring. I don't like fat in a story. I want a B to the finish kind of writing. And I watched an interesting show that helped me write. It was about tropes in Hollywood. And it helped me see things in shows and also in my own story that I wanted to avoid and that I could also use, like a cat in a trope. Usually when a cat shows up, they're kind of um, something evil is going to happen. <laughs> or if there's a mirror, you look in the mirror, you look away, you look again, then somebody's in the background in the reflection. I'm all, oh, this is this is good stuff. I need to put this in my story. Or there's one, if you have a gay character, they always end up dying. And I was like, oh, man. I need to make sure my gay character doesn't die because I don't want to fall into that trope. So I thought that was very helpful. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I um, I wasn't aware of that last one about the gay character dying, but uh, definitely something that I would now be thinking about. Yep. Um, they always kill off the gay character. <laughs> it's so crazy, but it's true. That's unfortunate. Um, now, your book is, I think, around 180 pages or just over 200. I'm trying to. Remember. I don't remember. I think it's 141. Okay. So that's cool. One of the things that, that I really uh, like is I, as somebody who writes short books uh, or shorter books, especially when we're talking about fantasy, um, and I know other writers that write short books. Now, I enjoy a big doorstopper from time to time as well, and I've read quite a few. But if you can get a lot out in a relatively short book and make it feel like you've read something epic, I consider that like one of the biggest compliments to a writer. Like if I can read a book that's 140 to 180 pages and feel like I've read this massive thing where amazing things have happened. And, you know, I have like a book hangover after reading it. You know, I consider that like a major, major accomplishment. Examples of books that are in about my length are The Great Gatsby. Right. Fight Club. Coraline. So it really is the story. And you just mentioned three of my favorite books. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I'm a huge fan of uh, everything politics done. All of his books are pretty short. And, uh, yeah, so that's that's just something that I thought about because I read some of it. And, again, like one of the reasons I asked about the dictating was because the prose is so perfect. And um, I was curious about that knowing that you were dyslexic. I also had it professionally edited. Yeah, well, of course. <laughs> of course. I, I get that, too. But, um but yeah. But no, even with the professional editing, I still missed. There was there's two words in there that are supposed to be tube in their tub, 
and I spelled Seagird with a Q on one of the lines, and it just makes me go nuts. I mean, my my inner rage just goes ah. Uh, every time I read, every single time I read my books, after having re-uploaded files again after countless re-edits, and I'll say, "This is perfect now." It's like they just come out. It's like they the the new things just blossom. Once you've gotten the other things, you'll find new ones. Like you know, a capitalized letter in the middle of a word. That kind of thing. Oh, um, man. Yeah, we call those printing errors, right? To take the right. stress off of ourselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so everybody's got their favorite. I mean, some people say they love all their characters equally. Usually I find people have their favorite characters in their writing and characters that might have been necessary but posed a little bit more of a challenge. Who would you say your favorite character to write is and why? And then who would you say has just been like a, pain in the ass my favorite character is actually i ask everyone who's read my book i say who's your favorite character and the input that i've gotten from most people is that my protagonist is not a favorite so she is in this story and it is her story but it's almost like you're seeing everything she's going through and who she kind of falls in love with you kind of fall in love with So even though it is her story, she's still not thinking of herself sometimes. And so my favorite character is probably Ivar the Boneless because he's unexpected. He, I thought, you know, he starts off as this major, he's like the Han Solo in my story. He starts off as a major dick. And then you just can't help but fall in love with him. Yeah, that makes sense. I don't know um, if you've ever uh, heard or heard of Robertson Davies or, 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 heard of the book Fifth Business, uh, which is probably his most famous book. He's a Canadian author, but he's international. Um, there's a term for um, a character who kind of exists to make the other characters more interesting. Um, so kind of goes along with everything and basically is a little bit more boring, maybe not as likable, but is absolutely necessary to move the story around and to, to bring out the more interesting characters. So is that kind of like what, what you mean by what people say about your main character? That definitely sounds like Emma. And they're not, it's not like she's unlikable, but she's just average. Right. She's, you know, she does become a strong character later on, but at the beginning, she's just kind of a meek woman who wants to go on a vacation and everyone around her is way more interesting than she is. Right. Yeah. Like I have this, book that I wrote called Here Comes Steve and it's meant to be a big joke basically and the main character is this dude named Steve that has a normal job and he ends up being sucked up up into this uh, dreamlike state of uh, altered consciousness from choking on a Twizzler and (laughs) he ends up in a world called Planet Steve where everybody's name is Steve and all the other Steves are so much more interesting than he is and he literally has like hardly any dialogue either other than what the hell is going on here and I just want to get my dog back because that's how it starts is that he gets his in his state of consciousness. He gets his dog kidnapped by aliens or he thinks they're aliens. They end up not being aliens. But uh, so I totally did that. And in the story, I also allude to the whole fifth business idea that Steve is just there to bolster the other characters and make them a lot more interesting. So yeah, I love that. But that also makes Steve an underdog. So you kind of root for him, right? He is an underdog. And there's that's also in there. And you do root for him. And at the end, you realize that he's a little bit more important than you think he is all the way through. Exactly. Um, 
and and he kind of has a little bit of a, of a redemption arc, even though he's not like a bad guy. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about the process of publishing um, the whole thing. The um, I mean, because you've self published the book, obviously, uh, which is a major undertaking. What have you enjoyed the most about the process of getting your book out into the world? And what have you so far found to be, you know, more of a stumbling block or obstacle? So writing it was fun. I would listen to Neil Gaiman, his master class commercial, just the commercial, just the ad every single day. I'd listen to it over and over again. And he would say, there are no rules. And I'd be like, yes, there are no rules. And then I'd write whatever I wanted to. And then it came to the point where I read it and I reread it and I self-edited and I realized that I really had a good story, but there was only so much I knew about commas. <laughs> you think you know a comma <laughs> until it becomes serious. You realize exactly. you don't. So I tried to find an editor and I went on to Red Z to find an editor and they all shot me down. They all told me no, that I had to self-edit more, that it wasn't worth their time. And all my insecurities came back and I thought, oh man, I can't believe I can't. I mean, I have money. I will give you money. Why won't you work with me? I mean, wow, it must be really bad. I must have this delusion of, of my story thinking that I wrote something good because all these people are just denying it. But on retrospect, when I look back at that, I think it wasn't that my story wasn't good. It's that my story was short and they wanted larger stories to edit because that's more money because they do by word count. And I in the I was in a I am in a women's group for writers and a professional editor. I put my plea out there. I said, I need a professional editor. I'm potentially a hot mess. I didn't think it was that bad, but I've been told to self-edit more, but I can't do it any further. This is my limitation. This is as far as I can go by myself. And she looked at my work and she said, it's not that bad. I've seen way worse. And so she ended up editing my book and wow, amazing. She did such an amazing job. And then I had an edited story and I tried to actually pitch it to a few agents and publishers and it turns out I am very impatient. <laughs> so while I was, I decided to get a format agent. And while that was being formatted, Vela came into the picture. Kindle Vela. It's only in the U.S. right now. It's still a beta. But I decided to put my story episode at a time on Kindle Vela while I was waiting for the formatter. And that gave me some income. That gave me some monies that I could use for the self-publishing process because it is you're going to spend some monies. I got it copyrighted at the Library of Congress, and that was a, a mission. It's super easy, usually, for a normal person, unless your name is me. And when I went online to try and get it to publish, something happened, some glitch happened. Normal, everyday, that's just me, glitches happen. So I tried calling them, and while I was on the phone with them, they got a terrorist attack. It was this crazy guy in a pickup truck with a bunch of propane tanks, and he threatened to blow up the place. <laughs> and then I couldn't get a hold of anybody for like three weeks after that because the message system just kept saying, we've had to evacuate the building, and they never took that off again, and it was stuck in this glitch. And finally, I was able to get a hold of somebody and uh, get my my story copyrighted. And so I had the copyright, I had it professionally edited, I had it on Vela, 
making money. And then after 30 days, I was allowed to publish it on other forums. And I went with Ingram Sparks. I published it and it's distributed in hardback and ebook. And I went to my local Barnes and Nobles and I said, hey, I wrote a book. And they're like, OK, great, we'll order some. And so my local Barnes and Nobles carries my book. Awesome. Well, I mean, that what that definitely sounds like a process worthy of a film. Um, especially that last part with the whole bomb threat thing. That's yeah, crazy. I know, right? Crazy guy with a bunch of coins and propane in the back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, I had a well, I had a not not with writing, but I had a similar experience. I, I had gone with my kids to uh, try and visit my father-in-law, who's been in the hospital, who had been in the hospital for three months, and I hadn't seen him. And we were driving, and uh, my wife was actually going to try and bring him down because there's only one visitor at a time. So I was driving, uh, and I noticed that when we got towards the hospital, uh, the road was blocked off. So I figured, but then there were cops everywhere. I figured there was like a, an accident. There were, they, one of the cops comes over to my window and says, sir, you're going to have to circle around the block. And I said, okay, but how do I get into the hospital? She says to me, why would you want to get into the hospital? Why would you want to get into the hospital? So I'm thinking to myself, because they have a really good Starbucks there. It's way better <laughs> than the one down the street. Like, why the hell would anyone want to go to the hospital? And they said, sorry, the hospital is going to be is getting evacuated right now. There's a bomb scare. And and now I'm sitting here thinking, "Okay, well, that's great, because my wife is like up on the top floor with my father in law. Anyway, it was insane. It turned out to be a false alarm and everything worked out. But it was annoying and horrible at the same time. So I'm glad it was just annoying. It was. Well, I was terrible. I was. My kids were totally calm. They're like, yeah, it's fine. I'm like, oh, my God, my wife's up there and there's a bomb in the hospital. I had an incident. We're a military family, and my son was going to school in the military school, and I went to go pick him up after school. And all the roads were closed off, and they had all of these police, military police lining it and soldiers and things. And they said, sorry, you can't go to school and pick up your kid. And they wouldn't tell us why. And all the parents are just there standing staring at these soldiers with guns and these police officers and these barricades and they're saying we can't go to the school and they're not telling us why and that was i think about it i still get goosebumps that was awful it ended up being that at the time bush was president and the first lady had stopped at the school and read to the kids and so they weren't telling anybody why everything was she just did a a stop at the school and uh yeah (laughs) we were all really kind of annoyed by that we thought well you know if you're going to stop and read to the kids can you not do it when school's over you know (laughs) or can you not make it like something that you're not allowed to tell people when they're terrified that they can't can you you, right not can you tell us our children are alive can you do that (laughs) exactly um but getting sidetracked but yeah that was just like the whole that whole bomb thing was triggering and made me think of that stupid question um but uh so as an indie author, how important to you is reader interaction? Is it something that you really look forward to? How do you enjoy networking with readers? It's my fuel. If somebody says, oh, I read your book. It was great. I'm immediately, who was your favorite character? What did you like? Why did you like it? Interrogate. <laughs> Interrogate. Sit down. <laughs> Get the spotlight on you. Tell me everything. <laughs> I want to hear the good, the bad. I mean, it's my fuel. It's why I do it. I do this for attention. 
it's it's funny, but it's also refreshing to hear somebody say that because everybody's like, "Oh, I do it for myself for the love of writing." Oh no, <laughs> I, I totally do it because before I started writing, I was in bands my whole life, and I spent my entire life. Um, in indie bands playing to 20 people, hoping that I would be play, uh, eventually uh, playing to 50,000 people. And I am just totally that kind of creative narcissist that wants to talk about my work, that wants to get that review that sounds like they're reviewing a Radiohead album with all these profound comments and read them and post them and all of that. So to hear you yeah, say that makes crap. me feel... It's my addiction. I don't yeah, have any vices, but I'm an attention whore. Yeah, oh, I'm the worst. And it, <laughs> thank you for, thank you for, for, I guess, validating the fact that I'm not the only one. Um, you're not. You're not the only one. Look at me, and then look at Michael, and then look at me. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, another thing I wanted to know uh, is what you have coming up next, because I'm sure a lot of readers that have read this book and enjoyed this book are looking to know what is coming next from you. I'm writing Vela's. I am sticking with the Kindle Vela platform because they're still giving really good bonuses. And you also get a little instant gratification from seeing how many reads you get and how many likes you get and if you get a crown and what your rating is. And it's all that uh, good feel stuff until somebody doesn't read an episode and, and you want to just cry and not write ever again. And then you pull yourself up by the bootstrings and realize that. <laughs> <laughs> you are you are a minnow in this pond. Keep writing. So your um, your intention right now is is pretty much to keep going with the Vela format and not necessarily jump into another novel. Well, the Vela format allows me it keeps me going. So I know every week I have to post an episode, and it encourages me to keep writing. And then once my story is finished, I can wait thirty days and then publish it on any platform I want. So, for instance, I just finished Lily. I don't know what the word count came into, if it is a novelette or if it can be considered a novella. I'm not sure. I got to check. But I had some art made for that as well. And I was thinking about putting it in the back of The Immortal when the paperback comes out as like an extra little story because there's a crossover there and it explains to what happens to one of the characters. Very cool. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like the way they... Um the way writers used to do it back in the old days, like the very old days where they would have like chapter serial, serialized chapters um, of a certain word count. And then they would be put together into giant novels. Right. In the newspaper you would read and then you'd have to wait until the next newspaper to see what happens next. Right. Like that would be what happened like back, like when Dickens wrote, it was like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So yeah, I get that. That's kind of cool. Um, so yeah, I mean, Obviously, um, good luck with that. I, I'm, we're going to ask, uh, I'm going to ask you where people can find you online. But the first thing I uh, want to ask you is this question, which I end all my interviews with because I think it's so, so important. And for some reason, I have a feeling you would have some excellent advice. Give new and aspiring writers out there one piece of advice that you consider absolutely priceless. All right. Here's two pieces of advice. Two for one. One. Talent does not get you to the finish line. Discipline does. Write every day. It doesn't matter if you're worried if other people think it's good or not. Talent does not get you to the finish line. Discipline does. Let that sink in. 
And the second thing is drink a glass of water before you start writing. Your brain is like a houseplant. It needs water and it needs sunlight and it'll bloom. If you're feeling like you're staring at a screen and nothing's coming out, stop staring at the screen. Go for a walk, drink a glass of water. By the time you get back on that screen, I promise you, you will have something to write. Right. Excellent advice. Um, I'll add to that um, that everybody needs to do themselves. Do do you do you and don't uh, hold yourself uh, as a writer to abnormally impossible standards. There are writers that can write 30 books a year, but to compare yourself to them and be like, well, so-and-so has written 10 books this year and I'm still struggling to get two done. Um, I don't think I'm a writer. No, I mean, that that sabotaging is going to destroy any opportunity that you have to get out your creativity. So right from the very beginning, um, understand that everybody's got their own pace. Everybody's got their own way of doing it and nothing is wrong. Yeah, there are no rules. Neil Gaiman, again, there are no rules. Write the story the best way you can. Very, very true. Um, Eva, where can people find you if they want to uh, discover uh, more about you and uh, read The Immortal? Well, you can Google me, baby. <laughs> I'm on Goodreads. You can find my book on Amazon, Barnes & Nobles. If you are in the United States, Kindle Vela, E.G. Creel. And, yeah, I'm on TikTok, but it's not very exciting. <laughs> it's TikTok requires so much discipline if you want to actually do it. The people that are doing I tried to do a TikTok video. My daughter directed me in it. Um, it was a cute little video, but it took like two hours to do. And by the time I was done, I was exhausted. Yeah. And I think and I think about the people that that say, oh, if you're going to if you're going to do TikTok, you've got to do three to four videos a day, every single day to influence that algorithm. And I'm like, forget it. I will never do another TikTok video. Never say never, Michael. But definitely respect to the people that can do it. Um, sure. Eva, it's been great and a lot of fun talking to you. I've enjoyed some of the parallels, especially the uh, attention horror narcissist <laughs> parallels. Um Wishing you all the best uh, with The Immortal and with the new writing that you have coming up. Um, and uh, I'd love to uh, talk to you again. Thank you, Michael. Auf Wiedersehen. This has been Authors in Focus. You can find my satirical fantasy novels on Amazon. Need help finding readers? Connect with me on Facebook in the Fantasy Sci-Fi Focus group or at authorsinfocus at gmail.com. You can find more episodes of this podcast at fantasy-focus.com and where your favorite podcasts are hosted. Mm-hmm.